Well, good evening. Welcome to Wednesday Evening Chapel. Howdy. Howdy. Uh, Turn to the person next to you, behind you, and the side of you, and let them know, howdy. How you doing? All right. It is our privilege this evening to have uh, Pastor Scotty Vaughn. He's the uh, senior pastor at Church on the Ranch here in Colorado Springs. And he's also a graduate here at NBC, of NBC as well. And he's going to lead us in time of worship. And so would you please welcome him this evening, Scotty? Thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate it very much. I am an alumni. And uh, Dr. Lambright, was, he was the very first prof that I had, my very first class here. And... Uh, I always remember it. I remember that first assignment. You don't remember it well, I don't because I've told about it a few times. But, you know, I was, uh, I was a little older than the average student when we came here. We, we say that the aggregate, aggregate age of the students at, at Nazarene Bible College went up, went up five years when I started coming. And then, and the average IQ dropped five points. <laughs> so, but I remember that very, the very first night that I went to that class, we got an assignment, which I went home and did, came back the next week, and uh, I got the assignment returned, and I had all zeros. And, it, and I, I didn't do it right. And I was, I was, I said, no, I knew it. I knew it. The enemy showed up immediately. I shouldn't have done this. This was a poor idea. <laughs> Just going to embarrass myself and everyone around me. Remember the old line that says, never try to teach a pig to sing? It just irritates a pig and, and embarrasses you. That's how I felt. But Dr. Lambright, in his mercy and compassion, uh, explained the assignment properly and gave it back to me, and I did a little bit better. So I, I can praise God for it. Uh, let's invite God into our presence right now. Let me, let me open with the word of prayer. Father God, I thank you for my friends and the time that we have here together this evening. I plead the blood of Jesus over this place and a hedge of angels around it. I pray, Lord, that as you fulfill your promise to inhabit the praises of your people, that we would sense your presence and that we would invite you into places in our heart this evening that would prepare and encourage us as we go back to be prepared to do your will. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now firm a foundation. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, give laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said? Who unto Jesus for refuge fled? In every condition, in sickness and health, in poverty's veil, or abounding in wealth, at home and abroad, on the land, on the sea, as thy days made man, so thy strength ever be. Fear not, I am with thee, oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God, and I will give thee aid. I'll strengthen and help thee and cause thee to stand upheld by my right 
That's what you guys are doing right now. You know, I got to build an altar. I felt like the, the nation of Israel, whenever they're traveling through the wilderness, whenever God showed up in a particularly powerful way, they would build an altar to remember that. And I was able to take a church trip for our little outfit over to Israel this last couple of weeks. And I got to build an altar there. You know, I got over there and realized, man, this little kid from eastern Colorado that never dreamed... God had this in store for me, that God had Nazarene Bible College in store for me. First time I came, those first nights, and I just thank you, we were just talking earlier, Dr. Lambright made such a difference, not only in my life, but in my family's life. And one of the things that struck me about him that made us kind of a bond early on is that we both had a sense of humor. We both trusted God enough we knew that he was in control, that we could walk through getting a whole paper of zeros <laughs> And still, and still, while discouraged, know that our God is a firm foundation. He had already built enough altars in my life that I knew that he was about something a lot bigger than I was, something so much bigger than a couple of poor assignments could dissuade me from. There was a pastor not long ago I heard about that was talking to one of his congregants who was on his, his last few days. And he was a very faithful man. And so when he talked to him, he said, I know you're probably afraid. And he said, you know, really, I'm not. My faith, is, my faith is strong. And the pastor said those pastorly things that we all say sometimes and then regret right away. It sounds like, it sounds so trivial. Say, so, well, you know, we all have faith that God is good. And the guy said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not talking about faith in the future. 
I'm talking about my confident experience of God in the past. I've built altars in my life, and He's showed up time and time and time again. And that's what gives me hope, and that's what gives me faith. And when we were over in Israel, I got ready to walk up to the Western Wall among so many things that just changed my life. And I walked up not expecting a lot because, you see, I'm, a, I'm an American Protestant, and I understand that the Holy Spirit lives in us. We are the temple. And to walk up to this wall is, you know, there, there's not some special deal that I'm going to see there. And yet, when I walked up to that wall, the spirit in me began to leap. There was something powerful right there immediately. And I built an altar again because it reminded me that I'm not the only one building altars in the world these days. Our God is about so much more than I am. And there are so many people with such a strong faith and as I stood there at that wall and realized that Israel had been destroyed, what, 37 times? It's been conquered, restored, come back, and yet still, it's, every inch of that country is contested both physically and spiritually. And as I stood there, I felt a part of the battle. And I knew, and I knew that God was a firm foundation and that He had chosen me by His amazing grace. Some of you know that Church on the Ranch is a, is a cowboy church, really. That's kind of a misnomer. It's God's church, but we're kind of Western, and I kind of got started there and started at the Bible college. They used to call me the campfire pastor because I'd go around to all the retreats and the seminars and, and stand around the campfires and sing songs and talk about Jesus. And one of the songs we used to say, man, this guitar's gotten out of tune already, but I'm going to keep going. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me I once was lost But now I'm found Was blind But now I see T'was grace that taught my heart and grace my fears relieved How precious did that grace appear 
Thank you, Father. His relentless grace changed my life. I built an altar here at at Nazarene Bible College, and I've continued to build altars. I built another one recently in the Holy Land. I was amazed. I was overwhelmed. When I first came to school here, I, I thought I would never be able to graduate. And I think I wasn't the only one that thought that on occasion. <laughs> but as we, as we walked through, when I finally graduated, it struck me it was 40 years after I had graduated from high school. 40 years. And that was meaningful because I remembered my last conversation with my guidance counselor in high school who said, I think you're the kind of student that needs to take a little time off before you continue your education. <laughs> Not understanding that it would, be, it would be 40 years later. I know it said the joy of the Lord is the topic that I'm talking about tonight. What does that have to do with trust? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Well, it's because the joy of the Lord is, is relational. It's so much deeper than just happiness or just laughter. And it's the kind of joy that can only be released in a confident trust that God is who He is and that you are who He said you are and that He will accomplish what He said He would accomplish in your life. And we're not just talking about lighthearted hilarity here. Now, understand, I love lighthearted hilarity. I live for it. I can remember Peanuts in a Charlie Brown cartoon one time uh, that Lucy was having a very serious conversation with Schroeder. And she said, do you think anybody is ever really happy? And in the next frame, Snoopy comes dancing across there. And she kind of frowns and said, do you think anybody who's ever really happy that's still in their right mind? We're not talking about denial here. Proverbs 17:22 says that a cheerful heart is good medicine and a crushed spirit drives the bones. We're talking about the kind of joy that the apostle Paul felt in, in Philippians, which is often called the epistle of joy. The kind of joy that emanated from him even while he was in prison. The kind of joy that comes not from the recipient, but from the one who promised us the awesome sovereign God of the universe who is in control no matter what the circumstances may look like around us. In the midst of the hardest term paper we ever had to do, thinking we may never make it, the kind of joy we can have in the midst of that, not because of who we are, but of, because of who God is. The kind of joy that we can only have from Christ alone. is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still and striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, 
house of God in helpless faith, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones He came to save, till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live there in the ground his body lay light of the world by darkness slain then bursting forth in glorious day up from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory since curse has lost its grip on me for I am With the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry till final commands my destiny no power of hell no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ I stand till he returns calls me home here in the power of Christ I stand thank you Jesus thank you Lord here in the power of Christ I stand you know the first time that I that I tried to go to school you know I knew God was calling me you know I could sense it in my life I began to pray I was a late bloomer I was 30 years old before I found a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you know like most new believers I just I grabbed onto grace and I grabbed onto forgiveness and I just wanted to go into the corner and hang out with God I never expected that he could use me in any meaningful way whatsoever but that was okay because I had Jesus and I just wanted to jump up in his lap and stay there no idea that he just wanted to nurture me and to love me, that I was blessed to be a blessing and there was a call on my life. And so the first time I was going to go to school, I, th I think I must have been going to do it in my own strength because I prayed and, he, and, and I thought, man, I need to go to a counseling program somewhere. And so I, I started checking around. And as the Holy Spirit quickened in my life and I could hear his will, you know, it's crazy because God, maybe it's just me translating this way. But it sounded like I could clearly hear God say as I began to study and to read every Larry Crabb book I could find and all the counseling stuff. And I said, Lord, you know, I know you're calling me to be a counselor. And at that point in my life, 
I think he said, Scotty, I'm just trying to fix you, bud. And I needed to understand that there was a time for everything. And he did. I went through a long season of that. But you know what? He was calling me to be a counselor and to be a pastor. And I came down to Nazarene Bible College knowing I needed a whole lot more than that. And I hit some obstacles right at first. But the joy of the Lord, which comes from trusting in the Lord with all of your heart. Trust that call. Trust Him when you first hear Him. You know, Oswald Chambers, to kind of do the cowboy paraphrase at one spot in My Utmost for His Highest, says, we go to God and we ask Him for an answer. Tell me what you're going to do, Lord. And He doesn't tell us what He's going to do. He shows us who He is. And as we begin to trust with all of our heart in who God is, the fullness of seriousness becomes the fullness of joy in our lives. It's hard, it's easy to love someone you don't trust. Can you sense that? But it's very difficult to receive love from someone you don't trust. It's as you begin to trust that God is who He said He is and that, His, that He lives in your heart and that He will not call you to something that He will not prepare you and equip you to do, that's when you begin to understand what He's up to. In a quote in a book that Chuck Swindoll wrote a long time ago, let me find this quote here really quick. It quotes a guy named Flannery O'Connor. He said, where there is no belief in the soul, there's very little drama. Either one is serious about salvation or you're not. And it's well to realize that the maximum amount of seriousness omits the maximum amount of comedy. Only if we are secure in our beliefs can we see the comical side in the universe. See, happiness is circumstantial. Joy is relational. The opposite of happiness is sadness. The opposite of joy is unbelief. The opposite of joy is not trusting God. Because you can't receive true, true joy unless you're secure in who God is and who He said you are. A guy that actually Dr. Lambright got me reading early on was, was a biblical scholar and his name was Elton Trueblood. And he's a powerful man and I dug up a book he wrote called The Humor of Christ. It's not in print anymore. But in this particular book, he tells a story about doing a Bible study with his young son. They were in Matthew 7 where it talks about getting the plank out of your own eye before you worry about the speck in your brother's eye. And as he read the scripture very seriously, his little boy started to laugh. And he was going to admonish him for laughing during Bible study. And all of a sudden it struck him. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. This guy's got a huge... That's irony. He's got this big log in his eye and this child had an innocent enough heart as he approached God relationally that he saw the humor in it. And so Elton began to do a study of it. And he says this, The process of freeing the gospel from the excessive sobriety which is provided both by the authors and by us, once we realize that Christ was not always engaged in pious talk, we've made an enormous step on the road to understanding. See, when we read the New Testament, what is Scripture now was Jesus telling stories to his friends. That's what he was doing. They're all true. It's all completely true, but it was, it was a relational Jesus who could bring joy to his friends as they began to understand the truth. Elton goes on and says, We're so sure that he was always deadly serious that we often twist his words in order to try to make them conform to our preconceived mold so that they can maintain the piety, the, the piety that we associate with them. Are they powerful? Absolutely. 
That's scripture. That's the word of God. They can speak truth into your life and they can change your life. But we're not worshiping the words. We're worshiping Jesus Christ. We're worshiping the one who spoke the words, who spoke truth to us. He says, a misguided piety can make us fear that acceptance of his obvious wit and humor would somehow be mildly blasphemous or sacrilegious. Religion, we think, is serious business, and serious business is incompatible with banter. Christ himself talked about joy in John 15, 11. He said he wished that we would have his joy so that our joy would be complete. The word for happiness, the Greek word where we get happiness from is hap. And it means chance, perchance. If chances work out, then you'll be happy. You hear Christians say sometimes, you know, how are you doing? Well, under the circumstances, I'm doing pretty good. And I want to scream, what are you doing under there? God didn't call us to be under the circumstances. He called us to a joy that's not dependent on circumstances, that is relational. It's all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Oswald Chambers, another point he said, and I, I know I don't want to quote the same guy all the time, but he says, watch out for all you are worth until you hear the bridegroom's voice, the bridegroom, our Lord Jesus Christ, in the life of another. Never mind what havoc it brings, what upsets, what crumbling health, rejoice in, with divine hilarity once his voice is heard. You may often see Jesus Christ wreck a life before he saves it. Oh my goodness, can I look back in my life and see where God got a hold of me and all of a sudden everything began to come apart? The cowboy paraphrase of C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says, I assume that God came into my life and he was going to fix up the old bunkhouse. He was going to put a coat of paint on one of the walls and clean the stove up a little bit and make me a little more presentable than I was before. And all of a sudden he starts tearing the wall down. And I realize he wasn't going to fix up the old bunkhouse. He was going to destroy that bunkhouse so he could build a palace. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me and the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Charles Spurgeon, when he read Genesis 21.6, after Isaac, whose name means laughter, had been born. And Sarah had already been chastised one time for laughing inappropriately. Now she says, God has brought me laughter. And all my friends who hear about this were laugh for joy with me. And he said, well, may my mouth be filled with joyous laughter because of the singular surprising grace I received of the Lord. For I found Jesus, the promised seed. He is mine forever. we got just a couple of minutes and I'm going to sing this song. The words are very easy. For I found Jesus, the promised seed, and he is mine forever. I found Jesus, the promised and he is mine forever and ever. Sing that with me when we get back to May my mouth be filled with laughter and my song be filled with praise. May my soul be ever after spirit has been raised would you delight in my deliverance when you hear the Lord has set me free yes the Lord 
Lord has brought me laughter. Won't you laugh for joy with me? Sing it with me. For I found Jesus, the promise, and he is mine forever. I found Jesus, the promise, and he is mine forever and ever. Yes, he is mine forever and ever. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for my friends and the time we've had together tonight. Lord, I do. I pray your favor on them. I pray that you would give them clarity and discernment and a continued hunger for your word and that by your grace and your sufficiency, Father, they could sense you at work accomplishing the goal fulfilling the mission that you have ordained them for in their life. Uh, keep them safe, keep them strong, Lord, and let them be encouraged as they finish this term strongly. We pray all this in Jesus' name with glory and honor and thanks to you. Amen. God bless you. Thank you very much for letting me hang out with you tonight. Have a great second half of the evening. I think you still got time to get over there and get a, a Diet Coke and some Twinkies before you go back to class.